I'm Kim Grinolds of Dogman.com with Chris Fetter, Scott Eklund. We're high above the playing field in the visiting coaches box where we typically do our post-game podcast. And kudos to the Oregon coaching staff for leaving it very, very clean. But uh, Oregon defeated Washington 35-31 to with a... Uh, with a score in the fourth quarter, and Washington just could not come back. Um, estimated attendance, well, actual game attendance, they say is 70,867. Game time, three hours, 14 minutes. Temperature at kickoff was 47 degrees and light rain. And rain in the first quarter, that was about it. There was a lot of fear before the game that we might have some thunder and lightning and could possibly have a delay, but none of that came to fruition. And in the fourth quarter, we actually saw some sunlight. But uh, Washington started out fast, had a very good first half. But the second half, boy, just totally different story with... Uh, well, the fourth quarter. Yeah. The third quarter, I thought they did just fine. It was the fourth quarter. Yeah, just a tough game. Oregon's offense is tough, and a lot of people out there complaining about the offense, but, you know, they scored 31 points. It should have been enough to defeat Oregon. They just seemed to couldn't stop them when it really mattered. Absolutely. They, they could not figure out how to stop the run. Washington did just fine in the first half, uh, did just fine all the way up until halftime, and then in the second half they just could not figure out get stops when they needed them. And, you know, I, I put it in the uh, game analysis, the, the – uh, 36-yard touchdown by Micah Pittman on fourth and three from the Husky 36. Just, that was a backbreaker. Even though Washington was still leading by three, I just think that took the wind out of the sails of the fans as well as the team. And this far into the season, Scott, when you say they weren't able to figure out how to stop it, I don't think that was the issue at all. I just don't think they're built to stop it. The defense has been doing the same thing all year. It's not what they did. It's who they are and what we saw today with the Washington defense. No, that's I, who they are. And they played against a, a great offensive line. And I, I don't think that you can – you know, I did. I guess I did overstate it that they couldn't figure it out. They just had nothing to be able to stop it toward the end. Yeah, and Oregon's – keep in mind also, Washington was out a lot of guys. They were without Richard Newton. They were without Sean McGrew. They were without Aaron Fuller. You know, and those are big-time misses from, uh, you know, Washington's offense. I know Oregon was down there tied in, but it didn't seem to really matter much. Oh, I think uh, it mattered a yeah, lot. I would disagree a lot with – I would disagree <laughs> I a lot think, with that. Yeah, he – there were a couple throws that if Breland was in the game – I mean, Washington – this game wouldn't have been close – if Breland was playing. Yeah, it just seemed to see, it seemed to look to me like, um, you know, when they were able to get pressure onto Herbert and just move him a little bit, he really struggled. But when he was able to complete passes, they were, you know, the quick passes and just, uh, you know, when he had all day to throw. No, you're and you're right about that. But the problem is he was trying to complete passes to guys that aren't as good as Breland. Breland was his outlet guy. Breland was his security blanket. And I think he missed him today, especially in that first quarter when he, every time they got him off his spot, he, he missed his guys. Yeah. I would also add too that um, there was a couple instances, especially that, that pass to Pittman on the fourth down that, you know, they got him completely influenced to the one side because that back screen, I mean, they, it was wide open. So they clearly caught Washington just going 100% in, in, in the, the particular way they wanted him to go. And then I would also say there were a couple other times where Washington got gashed a little bit in terms of Jimmy Lake called blitzes and, you know, screen passes and things like that that were, you know, bottom line, it was just great calls. I mean, it was just one of those where, unfortunately for Washington, it was a perfect offensive play call against the defense that was called at the time. Sometimes you just can't help that. 
tackling was an issue again today, Scott. Absolutely was. But, but I mean, we've kind of addressed it. It's they were there to make stops and um, couldn't because they were being blocked by a really good offensive line. And, and, you know, a lot of people want to blame it just on Kyler Manure. They just want to blame it on Brandon Wellington. It was everybody, you know, and, and I'm more than willing to give people the fact that I personally think Kyler Manu just is not athletic enough to play at this level on a regular basis. But I've, I mean, these coaches are not going to bank their, you know, salaries and livings on a guy. Everybody thinks Washington's being stubborn. Well, I I don't think it's that. I think the coaches are going to play the guy they trust the most. And right now they trust Kyler Manu more than they trust uh, Sermon and some of these other linebackers. I would also say, too, Kim, I was going to say, yeah, if if MJ Tafisi's in the game, that that might be a whole different thing. Because, I mean, Jackson Sermon, to mind. Eyes. Did he play very much at all today? I remember seeing him. Yeah. Yeah. And just an FYI on MJ Tafisi, he was at the game in street clothes, so um, I'm sure it's just a really bad stinger. And you know, with the week off coming, hopefully see him coming back. But um, you know, it's just you can't pin it on one thing. You know, they weren't. They didn't have a sack today against Justin Herbert. They weren't able to stop them on fourth downs. And uh, well, they were just two of two. It was only two. I thought it was more, but it was just two of two when I looked up the stats. Yeah, and the third down conversion, uh, Oregon was five of 13, which isn't bad, but the ones that they did convert seemed to really matter. Well, there were, t- there were a couple times where they didn't even need to worry about a third down because they were getting seven yards on, on first down and they were facing third and three, and they'd just go and get a first down. You yeah. know, um, it, it was brutal to watch in that second half. I was just going to say that. You know, what we saw from Oregon's offense running the ball in the second half, I honestly kind of thought that they were going to try to do that all game long. And I'm kind of a little surprised that they didn't try to do that all all game long because I think it was available. I think it was there to be had. Um, you know, I mean, maybe it was just Washington made a couple plays early on to stop some drives. That helped. But I really did think that uh, Oregon could have gotten something done on the offensive side of the ball, running the ball earlier in the first half. But that second half, to me, that was more of what I expected. Yeah, and, you know, they did it by committee, you know, with, um, you know, Likio Habibi had 81 yards, tra- uh, Travis Dye had 51, C.J. Verdell had 48. So, you know, they had a three-headed monster in there, and they all did about the same amount of damage in there at various times. But they've got one of the best offensive lines in the country. And then in addition – you know, with the amount of time that they were on the field, they had a lot more plays in Washington, especially when they were, you know, going tempo. Washington seemed to wear down, you know, after three or four plays in a row, they just seemed to wear down quite a bit. Yeah, absolutely agree. There's nothing more to say. It, it, they, they, Washington was not the better team today. Yeah, you know, and you take a look, and it all starts up front on the defensive line, and Washington's playing Josiah Bronson and – um, Levi Owen was Rike in there, and then they bring in the two freshmen in uh, Thule and um, Taimani. And they're just still really young. We're, they flash at times, but, you know, we're probably going to see them really turn it up next year. But then you take a look at the depth that they've got coming down the road with um, uh, Jacob, Bandis. Jacob Bandis and um, Tuatele and Sama Paama. They've got some big boys coming in. They're just not they're just not there yet. And I think today what we saw, you know, was a defense that we're not typically used to seeing under the Chris Peterson era since he's been here.
In what way? Just playing the softer zones and not being able to stop the run. I mean, when Oregon or any team has been in third and short all season long, have any of you really felt comfortable in stopping them? Well, but is that is that are you talking about the front or are you talking about the linebackers? Well, when you've got third and short, it's all starts up front, and I just don't think that they've got the talent right there, the experienced talent. Uh, I think Levi looks like he's underperformed, and then they've moved um, – uh, Benning inside, and Benning hasn't been a factor at all. Josiah Bronson's been kind of a journeyman, but uh, then you've got your defensive ends crashing in, but they just haven't been able to stop the runs up the middle. Yeah, well, I mean, I don't know about if we're talking about today as a microcosm for the whole season, but is. yeah, I think yeah, it is. But I think you're also looking at how many guys are going to be eventual NFL draft picks on that offensive line. I, to oh, yeah. me, I'm going to give a lot more credit for Oregon to do what they were able to do and to kind of spread things out and, and to be able to run when they needed to run. Because Washington got some things done in the run game too, but it was just when they needed to get those runs in, Oregon made the plays and Washington didn't. You say Oregon's got one of, you know, they've got how many guys on the offensive line? Well, I think they're going to have, well, I think it could be all five of those guys eventually are going to be in the NFL. Well, these defensive linemen practice every day against guys that are going to be in the NFL and, uh, you know, Trey Adams and, and probably Luke Wattenberg and Jackson uh, Kirkland and Nick Harris. I mean, they're as good as anybody as well. So they practice against guys that are really, really good. So, um, you know, it all starts up front, and they're unable to get the pressure and unable to stop the run. They were getting pushed around quite a bit. I get that that's a really good offensive line, but they still got pushed around today. Well, tell me a, tell me a defensive line that hasn't gotten pushed around by Oregon this year. Yeah. Well, Cal. <laughs> really? Okay. Cal. So, but uh, yeah, give Oregon credit. You know, the, and what hurts even more, which some drives some fans crazy, two of their best offensive linemen are from the state Calvin Throckmorton and Shane Lemieux. Yeah. yeah. Trent, uh, how the secondary look? It's easier for me to see up front than it is in the secondary how they look, Scott. I thought they looked okay. I mean, they were they were having to cover quite a quite a while. Um, you know, I thought Trent McDuffie learned some lessons today. I thought that Miles um, Bryant did not tackle like I'm used to seeing him tackle. Uh, he missed several tackles. Um, Asa Turner, I thought, did okay. He didn't look superb. He didn't look bad. Keith Taylor was okay. He wasn't great. wasn't bad. I thought Kyler Gordon actually had a pretty good game today. Um, you know, overall, I don't think it was a bad day for the secondary. I think it was more the front, the defensive line, and the and the and the linebackers who had the rough day yeah, today. I mean, Asa Turner had the one personal foul in the beginning of the game. I think was, he, when you slide, he he hit, he hit Herbert in the helmet. Yeah, was he, I mean, was he sliding and just slid yeah, into? They both, him? Yeah, it was just rain. Thing. And he put his hand down, yeah. and it hit him in the face. And so I would say he definitely atoned for it. I thought he played very, very well. I would say Elijah Molden really uh, gutted it out. I mean, he got hurt, got banged up. Um, but he, he went through and, and played the rest of the game. I thought he uh, gutted that out pretty well. Overall, I thought they did pretty well. I thought they did a really nice job of stymieing a guy like Micah Pittman until that play in the third down. That's why I think when you say it was the play of the game, it felt like it kind of broke the dam open a little bit. Because all of a sudden now he gets some confidence, and he hadn't really been a factor much in the game at all. Yeah, you know, and I thought, you know, the plays of the game were when Washington was up 14, and then Oregon gets the ball back, and they were able to go back down the field and score and pull within seven, and the defense wasn't able to stop them. I think that could have been the turning point of the game. Yeah, but I mean, the one to, so they're up 10, and they have it fourth and three. 
and they allow a 36-yard touchdown. That's a backbreaker. Receiver who gets a personal foul yeah. right at the goal line. No, he actually didn't. I thought it was no. on Micah Pitt. Man. No, it was on number eighty because he went up and tried to tear a sign down from one of the fans in the dog pack. I thought it, I was told it was on Pittman for high stepping into the end zone. Nope, that right. wasn't what they called. All right, well. And you can see what happened. The guy ran up and he tried to pull down a sign from one of the people, and that's when the flag came out. So he violated rule number one. What's that? Don't be a dumbass. Yeah. Pretty much. Um, opening uh, number 80 and, and the guy next to me was a duck reporter and he goes yeah backup guy he probably won't be playing the rest of the season because of that so. yeah um, I thought uh, Chris Peterson was a salty after this loss as I've seen him in a while especially when he was asked about the um, personal foul on the uh, kickoff oh, where unsportsmanlike. unsportsmanlike conduct yeah he was um he was not happy about that. Uh, Chris Vetters asked me if I could un- explain how Pete answered that, and I think it was pretty easy. Number one, he was pissed. Number two, he says that he got um, you know four different explanations from four different guys. He explained that it was within the rules. Last year it was within the rules, and it kind of sounded like Pete was uh, of the understanding that the referees didn't know the rules, and he was pretty pissed off about it. So Yeah, well, I mean – You know, if people will remember four years ago at Oregon State, they did the exact same thing with Chico, where he laid down, got up, did the same thing, had a big gain and all that. No penalty that time. So I had assumed that maybe the penalty or or something or the rule had been changed. But in talking to the rules officials here that were in the press box, it wasn't. It was all about the intent and it wasn't necessarily even a rule, they, he said, that hadn't been violated. It was an interpretation. And so it was like, well, that's going to make fans very happy. That it was like it wasn't a direct like, penalty based on something. It was like a, uh, like a, almost like a spirit of the rules had been violated or something. But it sounded like if, if, he was, if he was down but then got up before the kick, then there would have been a timeout called for some reason. But if... They had, uh, if he had done what he had done, then it would actually have been an unsportsmanlike call based on what the officials were doing. So, like I said, I'm as confused as anybody. I don't know if you guys saw this, but did you see Pete on the sidelines when when the refs were explaining it to him? Oh, I'm sure he was. He incru- I'm sure he was incredulous. I mean, I you know when you're when you practice something, and you think you've got something based on what Oregon is showing you in coverage and kick coverage, you th- and you think you can gash them. And you, and you probably even ask, you know, way ahead of time. Like, you try to get a rules interpretation well before. Because I was also told that the officials will also ask each team if they have something kind of quote-unquote tricky or something that the, the officials might have to interpret, you know, tell us so that we can be aware of it and we can let you know if we think it's going to be kosher or not. Which is kind of crazy to me because wouldn't anybody – train or practice something within the rules to begin with it just it seemed hokey to me at the time but you know this guy was saying if the rules are or uh if they say you know oh we got we got something special planned the referees will tell them if it's right or wrong it's like why would wouldn't the coaches already know um remind me here that didn't impact the drive though they went and scored didn't they I have to go back and it was the it was I think they did. yeah they may have I, I can't so remember so they went and scored so it really didn't impact the game well Pete did something I've never seen him do before he was so pissed he's usually front and center out there he went all the way back to the bench to 
cool down. That's how pissed off he was, and I've never seen Pete do that. Well, I remember, too, also, I think it was the drive where they scored right before half, where Washington had called a timeout. So he went to the officials to call the timeout, and it kind of looked like the players weren't 100% sure if they were going to be lining up or going or if it was a timeout. And Peterson was just apoplectic. He was screaming at them to come to the sidelines. Yeah, he was as dialed in and as as wired into this game as I've seen in a long time. Big credit to Savon Ahmed. I know we've been critical of him at times, um, at not running as hard through the tackles as maybe some of the other guys, but uh, that's as hard as I've seen Savon run since he's been here. Yeah, I made the comments. He was my offensive player of the game. Uh, probably his best as a Husky, in my opinion. I, I, ha- I haven't seen him run like that ever. Um, and he ran hard. He, he made quick decisions. He had a nice burst through the hole. Um, yeah, I, I thought it was Savon's best game of the season so far. One thing I was going to – we talked and we asked uh, – the media asked Peterson why did they run the Wildcat on the third and shorts and whatnot near the end of the game. And he just said over the course of the season, we've had success with it. Absolutely. And that's, and that's, why, we, and that's why we wanted to run it. I think we should have followed up with the question of – with Savon having the day that he had, would it have made more sense to try to run him in it as opposed to Kamari Pleasant, who you've really ha- you haven't asked him to do anything all year? So, yeah, and I agree with what Pete said. They just got to block it better. I mean, they just got to block it better. I mean, they had quite a bit of success in the first half in neutralizing Oregon's um, defensive line, and I thought they pushed him around quite a bit in the front, especially, I can't remember, Jordan Scott. I mean, he was not just not a factor at all in the first half, but um, they were able to draw an offsides call, by the way. So, um, but, uh, yeah, I mean, Savon Ahmed, 29 touches today. He had 24 carries for 140 yards. He um, also had four catches, not big yards there, but Washington down so many guys, he actually had to go back there to return kicks, and he had a kick return as well. Yeah, no, there's no doubt about it. And, and what was interesting, I asked Scott about this a little bit uh, after the game, Cameron Davis comes in for his first touch, gets seven yards as, on his first carry as a Husky, you're thinking, okay, well, maybe, you know, because I kind of wondered if Malik Braxton was going to be in the walk-on, the senior walk-on was going to get maybe an opportunity with no Sean McGrew, with no Richard Newton, what have you. Well, they Cameron Davis rolls in in the first half, gets seven yards on a carry. I think he gets a first down on another one that was nullified on a hold that I think a lot of people thought wasn't a hold. But then you're thinking in the Wildcat or in the, in the, in the waning moments when you have a guy like that, why are you only giving him like two carries in the first half but not giving him an opportunity maybe to do some things to see what he can do? So, again, a lot of questions. You know, we'll, we'll see what some answers are. I'm sure we'll ask Peterson on Monday some of these things as well. Yeah, you know, and a lot of people out there, it's easy to blame the offense. It's easy to, play, you know, um, blame the play callings. I thought the offense was fine. They had 414 total yards today. The problem was the defense and not being able to get off the field and not being able to make key stops when it was necessary, especially in the fourth quarter. Yep, yep. And it definitely, I would say, I would put this one on the defense, although I will say the offense has to come up with more than zero points in the fourth quarter. Yeah. You, you just, you have to. And they couldn't sustain drives. They couldn't do anything. And that really gave, I, I mean, the defense, one of the reasons the defense was struggling was because they couldn't get off the field. And then when the offense did get on the field, they went three and out twice. I think, I think it was three and out twice. I'd have to look at the drive chart. But in, and that doesn't help you at all, especially when they're going hurry up. And that's the thing. I mean, it, I think this is honestly one of the, 
as far as the neutral goes, I would think, especially with the Husky Stadium environment and everything else, I, I'm sure this is, a, this is a game where the Pac-12 is going to get a lot of credit nationally. I mean, this is a really hard-fought game, really well-played game for the most part. But I think one of the most deflating things I would think as a Washington fan is this felt like the kind of game where the team who gets the ball last is going to win the game. And that didn't happen. Because it, it felt... Yeah, they did. Oregon got the ball last. No, <laughs> you know what I'm talking about. But you know what I'm talking yeah, about. I'm talking about, you know, Washington has it in their possession. They've got a chance to do it. And I, can we talk about the Pukunakua? I, again, we're on the, si- we're on the sidelines. We, don't, we have no depth perception in terms of what we're seeing. I saw it perfectly. It was pass interference. There's no question. Yeah. I, I mean, they screwed up. Now, I will say that I, I'm, I usually like to give the refs the benefit of the doubt that maybe they weren't, didn't have a great angle on it. But it, it was so blatant from that camera angle. That doesn't mean that the ref saw it the same way. But it, it was so blatant from the camera angle. That doesn't mean that Washington would have gone in and scored, but they should have had four more downs to ha- try, and they didn't. And it, it was a bad no call. Just taking a look at the stat sheet real quick. First downs, Washington with 20. Um, Oregon with 26 net yards rushing. Oregon with 154. Washington with 125 net yards passing. Oregon with 280. Washington with 289. I'm telling you, the stats are real, real close. Total offense, Washington with 414. Oregon with 434. Total offensive plays, Washington with 64. Oregon with 77. Even time of possession, time of possession with Oregon with 2901. Washington with 30-59, so really close on there. And you take a look down the quarters. Each quarter, it was pretty close as well. Third down conversion, Oregon was 5 of 13. Bugaboo for Washington again. Third down's been a problem all season long. 3 of 13 on fourth down conversion. Oregon was 2 of 2. Washington was 2 of 3. Uh, red zone chances, both were perfect, but uh, Washington was 2 or 3 in the red zone, so they had to settle for a field goal on one of those. Um, they were 3 of 3, weren't they? Yeah, but two, two, he's talking about touchdowns. Oh, touchdowns, yeah. Okay, gotcha. Savon Ahmed again, 24 carries for 140. Kamari Pleasant with six for eight yards. Jacob Eason, I thought, had a really nice game. He was 23 of 30 for 289 uh, with three touchdowns. Leading receiver was... The first time this year, Terrell Bynum was 6 for 43. Savon Ahmed had four receptions, but for only four yards, some of those were negative catches. Uh, Hunter Bryant, 3 for 65. Kate Otten had three. And then you take a look at the defensive stats. And, uh, you know, Brandon Wellington had 11 tackles. Miles Bryant was seven. Elijah Molden was seven. But I think the big number on the defensive side of the ball was zero sacks. You didn't have any sacks. They got to Jacob Eason once, which was huge. Um, late. Yeah, late, you know, which made it third and long, you know. So um, just put Washington in a real tough position. But, you know, Kamari Pleasant picked up the blitz, but uh, they had another one coming in. It was a really good call dialed up by their defensive coordinator. Yeah, I was going to say, to me, that kind of reminded me of the end of the Washington-Utah game back in 2016 when Washington finally got up after the, the Pettis punt return. And then they were finally able to get pressure via uh, Bieria and Azim Victor up the middle. And that kind of spelled the difference. And I think that was obviously a huge. But here's the thing. If you're just, you know, details, details. If, if, if they're not offside, two, two plays before, that play to Spiker is a first down. We're not even, ta- we're not even talking about the, the slant to Nakua. Mm-hmm. You know, when you get into a tight game like this was, I thought I thought it was just a really tight game, and you know, one or two plays make the difference. And if you change one, something else is going to change. It was just a tight game, and boy, 
I'd like to see another quarter. <laughs> well, I'll tell you what. Um, this game, and maybe this should be my final thoughts. First of all, the, my final thoughts are Washington lost to the better team. Okay? They lost to the better team. That team is playing better than Washington right now. I don't think Oregon is more talented than Washington, but I think they're a better team right now. Second thing is, if you didn't have a rooting interest in this game, this was a great football game. This is a great football game to watch. It was well played. It was hard. it was played really hard. Um, you know, I, there were some mistakes. There were some great plays. There were some big plays. There were some some whatever. This was a great game, and, and like you said, Chris, I think this is a great showcase for the Pac-12 on national television. Final thoughts, Chris Fetters? Just that, again, to echo what Scott said, I think for the neutral, this is a phenomenal environment, greatest setting, all that. I think it, I think it showed up. I think it was, it was worthy of two top 25 teams going toe-to-toe with each other. Uh, give credit for, certainly to Oregon for coming in at the end, and I think that's been a big part of their uh, kind of their MO all year, too, is that eventually – it's like Novocaine. Eventually, it's just kind of it's going to wear you down, and it's going to all of a sudden it's going to it's going to you know take over in the fourth quarter, which it did. Um, one thing I'll say too is that when you look at all the stuff that Washington's trying to do offensively and defensively and what have you, I really hope people don't equate this to the same thing that happened at Stanford, for instance. This was this was a high quality football game played played at a very very high level. No fumbles, no interceptions, and like Kim said, it just came down to a couple key things that really spelled the difference in the game. And you and you and you tip your hat to tip your hat to Oregon, and you you try to move on through the bye week and get things cleaned up and get guys healthy. I mean, this is a banged up team right now. I mean, this is one of the few uh, teams that's played eight games right now in terms of the top twenty-five and what have you. So that's a big part of it. But I'd say ultimately. This is a hell of a game, and if and if Oregon and Washington could keep playing games at this level for years to come, this is going to be a hell of a rivalry because this uh, this was a showcase game. And uh, win or lose, I know Washington fans, this is going to sting for a bit, but when you go back and look at it, you're going to realize this was a heck of a game. Not only a banged up team, it's still a lot of it's still a young team. They've got a lot of youth out there. They really do. No excuse, but uh, you know, I think Washington fans are getting spoiled a little bit. And every team that plays Washington, that Washington game is now circled on the on the calendar. It's you're getting the best shot from every team that you play. Especially Stanford. Yeah. Oh. Yeah, so um, boy, bye week always sucks going into a bye week with a loss, but there's a lot of healing that needs to be done with this team. And Chris Peterson seemed a little bit irritated because we've got two buys, you know, within a relatively short period of each other. Why couldn't the buy have been done a little earlier in the year and given the some of these guys a little bit of a chance to heal. So, um, like I said, you know, this is as salty as I've heard Chris Peterson after a loss in a long time. Um, There's no reason to jump off the bridge. There's no reason to jump off the bandwagon. This is still a really good football team. The program is in as good a hands as it's ever been with Chris Peterson at the helms of the football program, Mike Hopkins with basketball, and – you know, Jen Cohen steering the ship. Everything's going just great. So, um, anyways, just a reminder, we'll be on Sports Radio 950 KJR on Wednesday, about 6.20 to 8 o'clock. And, uh, Scott, you're looking at me. Yeah, just we need to make sure people know there are no media availabilities at all for the team or Coach Pete all week. So you're not going to have a Monday press conference. You're not going to have interviews and players and coaches and all that. 
no none of that stuff so we'll have a lot of features on dogman over the next what six seven days yeah, you're, you're stuck with us yeah instead of hearing from the team you have to hear from us so yeah. our apologies up front kate cunningham five-star recruit with basketball for the basketball team who was in town this weekend he made an appearance so uh, he was hanging out with isaiah stewart which is a good thing and a little tidbit from the basketball team larry brown you know, the Hall of Fame coach, Larry Brown, has been in town this past week. Yeah, just a kind of observing practice, maybe doing a little bit of consulting with Coach Op. So just kind of a little interesting tidbit there. So for all of us at dogman.com, I'm Kim Grounds along with Chris Fetter, Scott Eklund. Go dogs.